Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Stacks of Cash podcast. Jay Cohen here with me once again. Um, what we wanted to talk about this morning, uh, you know, we do a lot of market updates, and sometimes we'll bring some folks in to talk about a um, specific subject. But today, we want to, it's really going to be a current events topic. And, uh, and as I've said multiple times, unless you're living under a rock, you've probably heard that. Uh, there's there's been some trouble out there in the banking world, and, um, and 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 what we want to do is just touch on what's actually happening behind the scenes and what's happening to these banks that's causing them to uh, have their stock prices fall and have that B word again bailouts. You know we haven't heard in a long time, Jay. Been a while, but that word is coming back out bailouts. Yeah. So you know this all started about. Three weeks ago, a month ago, yeah, with three Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. Yeah, well, always. I woke up this morning to a headline. It looks like First Citizens Bank is going to be the bidder and perhaps winner of the purchase of the deposits and loans of Silicon Valley Bank. Interestingly, First yeah. Citizens Bank is not in Silicon Valley. Do you know where it is? Philadelphia. I think it's out of North Carolina. No, I just know Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, in, I think uh, Philadelphia. I, I think it's out of North Carolina. I'm not 100 <laughs> okay. percent sure on that, but it's it's you know it's on the East Coast for sure. Yeah, so it's, it's not in Silicon Valley, that's for sure. You know, it took a couple of weeks for us to sort of pull this together, David. But we have been talking about it for a while. We feel like we're at a moment now where we're prepared to be able to discuss really what's been going on with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank of New York, right? both of which were bailed out over the same weekend yeah. by the Federal Reserve. And for a lot of people out there, they don't really fully understand. I mean, the, the average person doesn't understand how a bank really works. And we, what we thought we'd do, and before you fall asleep, we're going to keep it interesting <laughs> and high level. But we're going to walk you through how a bank works generally. What went wrong with the Silicon Valley Bank and... Does this situation indicate perhaps a a broader issue simmering below the surface? Right. And then what should you do as a consumer and what options exist for the Fed? I mean, that's generally the, the outline well, of what we want to go through, Absolutely, right? yeah. So let's start with a bank, how they make their money. Okay, this may be fairly obvious, obvious to some of you, but when you have money, and you go to a bank and you deposit your money into the bank, they pay you an interest rate. Okay? Yes, uh, under normal circumstances. Under normal circumstances, they give you an interest rate. They then take your money that you deposited into your bank account, and, and that is essentially a short-term loan because you can take that money out any time. So that is a loan. They take that money, and then they go invest that money. And the spread between what they're paying you for, quote-unquote, the loan – uh, that you're providing to the bank, and what they invested at is the spread, and that's how a bank makes their money. Yeah, and so they can invest in a variety of different things, and in fact, the the regulations require certain ratios. We're not going to point at all that, but in 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 a broad sense, there are two types of investments. They can either turn around and make a loan to a borrower. Yeah usually a business or someone who's doing something in real estate, they make a loan. That's one way. The other way, uh, they may they may actually go out and buy bonds. Usually, they're federal government bonds. 
right. are very highly liquid, very safe types of bonds. And those are predominantly the two ways in which a bank would earn interest on the money that you as a depositor provided to them as a, you are a lender as a depositor to the bank. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And so now I'm thinking about uh, last year, 2022, a lot of things changes, changed for the banks. I mean, when you started out the year, interest rates were very low. Extremely. And it was a rapid, rapid spike in interest rates that not only caused you know, a lot of, I don't want to say damage, but cause a lot of uh, struggles for, for people making investments and want to take out loans or buying houses. Um, but now we're starting to see it on the banking side as well. Well, there, there are two things that really are critical when you're analyzing what went wrong here. The first is, is that for more than 40 years almost, interest rates have been declining. Yeah. So you go back to 1982, roughly, when they peaked, and ever since then, they've been on a fairly steady decline, yeah. almost to zero. And in some countries, they were negative. Yeah, a lot, okay. a lot of international company or uh, countries were negative. Yeah, so <laughs> you had that, and and you had so you've had this long term trend of declining rates. So a lot of bankers that are out there weren't paying really any rates at all to depositors to lend their money to the bank. Yeah. So their cost of funds on deposits was almost nothing. Yeah. They could in turn take those deposits from depositors, those those assets, and turn around and buy a bond that might be paying 1% to mm-hmm. 2%. But the duration, in other words, the maturity, David, on that bond, it might be three, five, seven years before that bond was going to get paid back to them. They had to go so far out on that, that yield curve yes. to actually get that spread so they were profitable. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. So there was an incentive for these bankers to go further out on the yield curve. That means the maturity. Had they go mm-hmm. further out to get a higher rate. So that spread between what they're earning on the bond they're buying and what they're paying the depositor was what they call net interest margin. And that's how banks basically make money. Yeah. Okay. Well, what happened, David, at the end of last year, beginning of this year, throughout last year and this year, what's been going on with interest rates? Well, uh, for the first time in a long, long time, as you mentioned, and depositors now can get some return and some yield on their deposits. And so now the landscape became very competitive where you could shop around to different banks to get a higher, higher uh, a yield, a higher return on your deposit. And if you were stuck, if you were a bank and you had to pay your depositors more than the, the rate you were getting on some of your investments you made, now you got a bit of a problem. You have a bit of a problem. So yeah. if, if, if I show up to the bank, let's say, and I have $10 million on deposit at the bank, and you're the, you're the banker, you're the CEO of the bank, and I say, hey, Bob, I need you to give me my $10, to $10 million back. How are you going to do that? <laughs> you have to sell something. Yeah. Yeah. Or borrow overnight from the Fed or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. but onesies okay. What if a bunch of people start showing up? That's exactly right. You're going to have to sell something. You're going to have to sell something. So let's go back to the asset that these guys bought. Yeah. So they bought all these bonds. In Silicon Valley's case, the average maturity was seven years. Oof. 
for a 1.7% interest rate. That was their averages, okay? Anybody go to a bank right now and see what you can get on a uh, savings account? It's much <laughs> so, higher than that now. So, so what happened was they've got this portfolio of bonds, okay? The one person that shows up, nah, it's not a big deal. You know, they can find some money and they can pay the person out. The next guy shows up, maybe not quite as easy. The next person, not so easy. They have to start selling off some of these bonds, that they've bought that have a seven-year maturity at a 1.7% interest rate. Dave, in basic finance, when interest rates go up, the value of bonds do what? They go down. They go down. They go down. Let's talk about why they actually go down, right? Okay. So if I bought a bond today that's going to pay me over seven years at 1.7%. Yeah. And I can now go out and buy one that's going to pay 5%. Obviously, the one that's paying 1.7 has to go down in value. So the equivalent yield is equal to what I can get now, right? That's exactly right. The demand for that 1.75% bond is extremely low. So you, the only the only thing you can adjust on it is the actual face value of the bond. That's right. And it so, has to go down. To so even if even if the bond originally matures at a thousand dollars, yeah, the value of that bond has declined because the coupon is 1.7. But a competitive rate now is four or five. That's exactly right. Well, what do you think happened in Silicon Valley's case when all the depositors started, quote, lining up to get their money because they could get a better return? They had to sell those bonds at a discount, and and there were some losses involved in that. And losses evaporate equity. Absolutely, yes. And so banks are levered extremely highly compared to a normal business. And what that means is... Just on average, and we don't have the exact figures, but I'm going to give you a basic rule of thumb here. If you were to buy a house and you had 20% equity down, okay, you would have $4 of debt for $1 of equity in that case. Mm -hmm. Banks are two to two and a half times that amount. Mm -hmm. So they're very levered. So in other words, they don't have as much equity. And if they have to start taking losses because the value of these assets that they had purchased started to decline, it doesn't take long for the equity value to evaporate. Right. And so what they had to do was they were going to have to go out and raise more equity. And guess who they called? Goldman Sachs. And as I understand it, this is just through the rumor mill, (laughs) word got out that Silicon Valley Bank was in trouble. They were going to have to raise capital. Mm-hmm. And they were going to do two things. One was convertible debt. In other words, it's they were going to borrow money that could convert to equity. And they also were going to raise equity. Right. What, David, do you think that did to the depositors that were at Silicon Valley Bank once everybody, the word got out? I'm assuming they got a little nervous and they started uh, what we call making a run on the bank, trying to get their money out. And now you have a problem. Yeah. Because... Again, it starts becoming this nasty, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. So, you know, not only did they go long out onto the yield curve with some of their investments, but didn't they also have a very, um, I guess, tight-knit 
tight knit. I don't know if that's the right word, but a smaller depositor base because they used to make all of their their clients put all their money there. That's right. So you had a very concentrated, consolidated client base, which is not not good. That's either. exactly right. Well, first off, Silicon Valley. So they were by far the largest banking institution to start up and venture capital firms right. in the Valley. And they would require these companies to put 100% of their deposits with them in return for those institutions, those entities getting access to lines of credit mm-hmm. to operate their businesses. So once those startup businesses and, and, and we'll call them infant businesses were rocking along, once word got out that, hey, there was trouble – they, th- it was a matter of survival. They had to go out there and really say, "Look, we got to. We're reevaluating the situation." Well, you also look at last year; the tech space in general did very poorly last year. Yes. So that's another backdrop and another variable in this whole equation for Silicon Valley Bank. So you had big institutions like Roku that had four hundred plus million dollars with them. You had very very small entities. Nonetheless, yeah. it w- they were all they they were birds of a feather. I mean, they were all very similar, generally speaking, okay? And so, you know, if it was a self-contained situation and we were just looking at that, David, you know, probably not, you know, well, maybe it is just a self-contained situation. Maybe, Maybe that executive team, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe they're the only ones that were like, hey, we're going to go way out on the yield curve. We're going to go out seven years average maturity, low rate, a one and done. Right. Is that is that really what's happened though? No, because we've seen other banks have trouble as well. You mentioned Signature Bank out of New York. Another bank across the country. Totally different environment. Totally different. They were known for crypto. Yeah. I'm not really sure exactly what they did with crypto, but they they were involved in some way, shape, or form. I don't think it was related. In fact, crypto's gone up quite a bit here in the last couple yeah. of months. But they got into a similarly based sort of situation where they had a liquidity crunch. So when you start looking at that and you have one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, you start to wonder, are these things the canary in the coal mine? Mm -hmm. And for those of you not familiar with what that term means, I, I used to hear it. I never knew. And I looked it up one day. And a canary in a coal mine is, is interesting. They would, they would send a canary into a coal mine to detect whether or not methane or other natural gases were leaking, which you can't see or smell. Absolutely. And if the canary died, they knew there was a problem. So, fascinating. Dave, <laughs> Dave are these are these the canary in the coal mine? Well, if you've been looking at the uh, stock market recently and seeing what the uh, financial sector has been up to, you would you would see that the market is trying to figure that out right now. It's been very, very volatile, volatile in the in the banking industry right now. Um, and I think time is going to tell. I don't know if we have that answer yet. We don't. I, I, but it's, it's not only in the United States. I mean, we're seeing some some banks and some institutions abroad, like Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank. So it's it's not just the United States that this is uh, um, you know resulting from. This is international as well. I think the general theme is is that when you had a 40-year trend of declining interest rates on a global basis, 
and you now have a reversal. And that reversal wasn't a gentle reversal. It's been a fairly aggressive reversal. Absolutely. So the steepness of the increase in rates has gone up quite a bit. And that's playing havoc, really, with the balance sheets of many, 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 many financial institutions. Absolutely. That is an irrefutable fact. That is a fact. And and, and now we're at a situation, and, and if you were watching the TV at all, the Federal Reserve, and Jay and I have been talking about this a long time, now they're caught in the middle of two, let's call them crises. One of them that we've talked about a lot, inflation. Inflation is still running a lot hotter than the Federal Reserve wants. Okay, we're about, what, 6% right now? They wanted it two, two and a half, ways away. But if they keep raising interest rates to combat inflation, now we have something on the other side, and that's this banking issue that we're talking about. This rapid spike in rates uh, that was started by the Federal Reserve is really putting putting the, the brunt on these banks. So they're caught in between two big crises right now. Absolutely. And so th- there's a common theme between today and 2007, 2008. And the common theme is the Fed and all the experts are saying everything's good. It's okay. It's the strongest it's ever been. Bernanke back in 0708 said subprimes contained. Don't worry. We had Bear Stearns in March of 08. They got bought out by J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. Then you had Countrywide a couple months later. They got bought out by Bank of America. And then it came Lehman Brothers in September of 08. And that's really where we hit the wall. And so you're probably sitting there and you're like, well, geez, this has got me a little concerned. And it should. We're not saying you should panic. But no. you should be cautious, yeah. right? So And informed. And informed. So, David... What can people do that are listening right now? What 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 actions can they take in the couple minutes we have left? Well, yeah, and, and you, you'll notice that when they're talking about bailouts of these banks, um, you know, the FDIC insurance. Any bank that is FDIC insured and you deposit money there, uh, your money is insured for up to $250,000 per account title. So if I have an a, a individual account, at a bank, and I have a joint one with my wife, each one of those is protected by $250,000, up to $250,000. So recommendation one would be make sure that you're checking your account balances and making sure you're staying below that $250,000 threshold. Okay, that's a great idea. they may bail you out above $250,000, but let's not bank on it. That's That's a good idea. The rates are probably lower in banks. I mean, we know they're lower in banks. Unless you're buying CDs on the uh, institutional brokerage side, generally speaking, you're going to get a lower rate in general. Yeah. Another alternative is it, for those dollars that are above the 250 say you've got a million bucks and you just don't have enough account registrations you can do or you yeah. want to diversify a little bit. By the way, you could do that at different banks, right? You could, yeah. you could have, you could have David in your name four different accounts at four different banks and get two fifty per bank, right? Absolutely, yes. That that's one way to go. If you're going to go to all that trouble and you're not getting a satisfactory rate, you could also go buy UST bills, yeah, which are usually three month or six month in duration. They're paying about four and a half to four point seven five percent, pretty good yield right now, yeah, and. That is the largest, most liquid, most secure market. Those are those are short-term bonds that are issued by the federal government. You can't get, you know, if that blows up, then we're all screwed. Yeah, yeah we're all done if that's the case. Those are two good things. Yeah, so you've got two options there to consider. And if you 
you know, get stuck on this and you're, you're listening to us and you're interested in having a conversation, we're happy to help you clarify that. Feel free to reach out to us. You can get to us via our website, MontereyWealth.com. But we did want to get out there and give you a little bit of an overview of what was going on. We're keeping a close eye on this. Remember, anytime a bureaucrat is telling you everything is fine, when it doesn't look like it's fine or it feels like it's not fine, you ought to just, your radar should go up a little bit more, be a little bit more cautious, be a little bit more careful. And uh, if you, again, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us, give us a call. Happy to answer any questions you might have. So as always, thanks for listening. Feel free to share Stacks of Cash podcast with your family, friends, coworkers. Thanks a lot and have a great day. The information in our podcast are the opinions and viewpoints of the moderators and guests only. For information and disclosures regarding Monterey Wealth and its professionals, please go to www.montereywealth.com and select the firm disclosures link under the about tab.